Hello and welcome back to Hitchcock Chronologically, the show where I, Jeff, go through uh, all of Alfred Hitchcock's movies in the order they were made, and then I review them. There's a saying, when you're married or in a relationship, you know, in order to make it successful, you never want to go to bed angry. And there's probably a similar rule that should be outlined for podcasting. You should never podcast when you don't feel like it. But that's what I'm doing today. I just, I I think I, I like, and I don't even want to say it's the movies. I think trying to do this by yourself, having to try to muster up the energy to recount a movie, which hearing someone talk about a movie by themselves, it's just, it's not a great situation to be in. So here I am doing that. So I have to muster up the energy to try to make it entertaining. And then also talk about a movie that maybe disappointed me. It's the halfway point. It's the hump. We're on the way down hill. This is the first movie of the second half of, uh, of Hitchcock chronologically. And uh, this is also the first movie I've watched for this podcast that I had already seen before starting the show. Uh, you know, obviously, I've seen the big ones, the, the psychos, the birds, the vertigos of this world. And I've seen a couple of the smaller ones, um, but specifically Saboteur. And I remember really liking it. And there's a lot to like here. Saboteur came out in 1942, and uh, it stars Priscilla Lane as Pat Martin, uh, Robert Cummings as Barry Kane, Otto Kruger, which just great name, and he's a villain. He should have just used his real name uh, as Charles Tobin, and then uh, Norman Lloyd as Frank Fried, Frank Fry, F-R-Y, not Fried. Um, now, when you look at some of the pictures of from these old movies of the people on IMDb, uh, some of them are just pictures of how they looked back in that day. And then there are a couple people who have pictures of what they probably look like now, or at least at the end of their life. And that's what they did to Norman Lloyd, uh, who played Frank Fry. Frank Fry is an evil character, and uh, Norman Lloyd does a great job having a punchable face throughout the bulk of this movie. Uh, so... I I mean, it's called Saboteur, and we talked about sabotage, and both movies have a saboteur, and both movies have sabotage in them. So I'm just purely comparing the two. This is a better movie. But it's not as good as I remember. I remember watching it thinking, man, because outside of the, the, the classics, the classic late-era Hitchcock, I hadn't really seen any of his earlier work. And uh, this was just one that I don't remember how I came upon it, but just randomly watched it and was like, man, it's good. One day I need to go through and watch everything he's made because this movie's good. That must mean all his movies are good. <laughs> well, now I know. That's clearly not the case. And this, like I said, it's not as good as I remember, but it's also better in parts than I remember. Uh, so I've talked about in the past that a lot of these movies have a really slow start and how I think that's by design because a lot of people, when they go to the theater, they come in late 
And so maybe you don't want to put too, you don't want to front load too much information or really kick the plot off too fast. That's not the case here. Uh, Saboteur starts off right away. Uh, it's an airbase, and these three guys are going on, or yeah, three guys, I should say, are going on lunch break, and they bump, uh, two of them bump into a guy who's Mr. Fry, and he drops a bunch of letters and some cash, too. Uh, they find Mr. Fry later, give him this cash, and then a fire breaks out. And so they're working at this defense place that builds like missiles and weapons. And, and again, we're, we're in World War II era, so that makes sense. They work at one of these facilities, and there's a fire that breaks out. So they all go to put the fire out. Now, this is a huge blaze. It's not a small fire by any means. Um. So they try to put it out with a fire extinguisher. Keep in mind, this whole building is damn near on fire at this point. And Mr. Fry grabs a fire extinguisher, hands it off to uh, Robert, I think. is Well, the actor's name is Robert. Hands it off to Barry Kane, who is our lead, whose best friend in the world comes up. I can't remember his name. Robert, maybe? His homie, anyway. Comes up, says, hey, don't I get to have any fun? And takes the fire extinguisher from uh, Mr. Kane, again, our hero, and goes into a building that is already engulfed in flames. He goes inside and then just starts trying to put the fire out with a fire extinguisher. And the next thing you see, it like cuts to Barry's face. And then Barry looks inside and it cuts back and you just see a guy engulfed in flames and dying. Like it got out of hand quick. Well, come to find out. This uh, fire extinguisher was filled with gasoline. That is quite the, the sabotage, you know, like that's good. Because initially, I'm guessing that Mr. Fry, which we all find out, is the, the main saboteur. I'm guessing he set fire to this building. And then as an extra uh, kick in the pants or an extra way to make sure the job gets done, he fills the fire extinguishers with gasoline, which I got to imagine is quite a task. Now, I don't know how fire extinguishers are in the 40s, but I don't think I could refill a fire extinguisher. I don't know how I would do it, especially with gasoline, something volatile. Well, nobody except for uh, Barry Kane has seen Mr. Fry, and they basically pin this on Barry Kane. So, of course, he goes on the run. And this movie quickly becomes uh, pretty reminiscent of like 39 Steps. They're really similar in a lot of ways. This is better. I hmm, I don't know. Anyway, but a similar story uh, of a guy who's falsely accused going on the run and going from place to place to place. They're very similar. And again, I think that's going to be perfected in North by Northwest when we get there. I'm realizing that so much of Hitchcock is formulaic. Like he just has groups of movies that just fit into very distinct bubbles that you can compare back and forth to one another. Um, like you got all the love triangles and then you've got the, the, the person who actually did the crime wanting to turn themselves in. Uh, because they're good and it being someone else taking the fall for it, like in blackmail and sabotage. 
And, and this is that we're kind of in the thick of this uh, leading man, falsely accused, meets up with a lady who's trying to turn him in and do the right thing. And she slowly turns and they become buds. Uh, I mean, this happens a lot so far in the first half of Hitchcock chronologically. Uh, so they go on the run. He gets arrested at one point. There, there's a couple other scenes that kind of fly by. I'm going to try to be less uh, methodical in recapping. Uh, but it, on his running about before he runs into his this leading lady, uh, he runs into a truck driver who's just awesome. He's got a cigarette in the corner of his mouth and it's just kind of hanging out. Um, and uh, he talks the whole time and talks about how much he loves fire extinguishers. And I'm not joking, uh, which is just ridiculous uh, because it's it's this plot device. That's not even a device, but it's supposed to be there to to make Barry reflect on all the horrible things he's seen. But it wouldn't come up in natural conversation. Oh, fire extinguisher that is rattling in the car or the truck that this truck driver drives. That was basically giving a lift to Barry. And he's asked him to just tuck this paper in there to keep it from rattling. And then he goes on about how great it is to have one. I know a guy who would have died if he didn't have one. He'd have gone up in flames and would have been crispy. But I guess they get along great because later on, uh, when they're running, so he gets arrested. Okay, so he goes, the letters that Mr. Fry drops in the opening scene have a an address of this ranch. And he goes to this ranch that is run by Mr. Tobin. And uh, you come to find out Mr. Tobin is evil and he's in cahoots with Fry to sabotage various things. There's like three major acts of sabotage in this movie. Uh, one of them just kind of they cancel because it's too much work, I guess. And then the, the finale is based around the last one. And of course, the first one is around that opening. Uh, well, once Barry finds out, he essentially takes mr tobin's granddaughter hostage for about five seconds long enough for him to get away uh, but only to be arrested by the cops pretty much immediately while these police are taking him to downtown or wherever he sees a truck stopped on the highway and it's none other than our good trucker friend mr fire extinguisher and barrius jumps off the bridge to get away from the police swims underneath and like hides from the cops where one of the cops gets pushed in by Barry and starts going down river. And our truck driver friend creates a distraction for Barry, even though he's clearly got handcuffs on and has been arrested by the cops. He's going to do right by his boy. He, he uses this flopping police officer in the river as a way to divert the attention of the other cops so that our friend Barry can get away. Uh, Barry happens upon a, a kindly old man in the woods who happens to be blind. And I guess because he's blind, he has this additional sense of knowing that Barry's a good guy because he has exceptional hearing. He can hear that Barry has handcuffs on uh, to the point where his daughter comes in. And this is the love interest, his daughter, uh, Pat, um, sees the handcuffs and he oh you've saw them well i can tell when a man is good and when is bad this guy's actually kind of awesome because 
he talks and talks, but he's like got this great audiobook voice. Uh, so you don't mind so much. Uh, he tells his daughter, take this young man down to the blacksmith and have his handcuffs removed. And you'll take him where he needs to go to handle his business. She doesn't do this. She tries to take him to the police, as you should. And again, I know this is mistaken identity or whatever, but a smart person, a la Pat here, would take this guy to the police. And uh, that's what she tries to do, but ends up, he, she does this thing where she goes, let me look at those handcuffs. I don't know how the blacksmith's going to get them off. And he shows her, and then she kind of takes his arms and puts them around the steering wheel as if that would keep him in place. I don't know. I, it, I guess it worked back in the 40s, but I'm pretty sure I could get out of that. You just lift your arms up over the wheel the same way they came in. You lift them up to take them out and you're free. Well, he gets free. So she stops the car and says she's going to find someone in traffic to stop and report him. While this is happening, he gets the smart idea. He says, hey, I can get out of these or at least cut the chain between the two handcuffs. These are not douche cop level thick handcuffs. These are more modern handcuffs you've seen today. He gets down in the motor with the fan and the grinding and he cuts the handcuffs off and they take off together. But apparently him grinding down in there broke the fan and the car overheated. So they get a ride with a circus troupe. No joke. Full, full, you know, complete to the uh, conjoined twins with the uh, bearded woman. And this scene again is kind of fun because they're very different characters. Uh, and they end up having a vote to protect them. But there's one dude who's like, no, but the rest of them are like, yeah. And, and this happens so fast. Like, it's just boom, 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 scene, scene, new scene, new place, new uh, atmosphere, new venue to be in. And so the first half of this movie is very entertaining and easy to watch. And then it slows uh, down. I don't want to say it slows way down. That's why I went, uh, it slows way down. But it doesn't. It's it's just slow. Uh, slower than the first half. And I think maybe that's why, like, had the whole movie been paced like the second half, maybe I wouldn't have been like, all right, let's keep it moving. You know? It's like if you're uh, driving in your car and you're going, you know, 85 down the highway and you slow to 65 even if the speed limit's 65 and it's perfectly reasonable rate of speed it still feels like you should be going faster because you've been going 75 the whole time that's the best way i can explain how i feel they end up at this party that is being thrown on uh by the people here like there's a, a scene in the middle they go to a place called soda city and there's absolutely no delicious beverages here it's just run down and this is where they run into this guy who's like a sociopath he's actually really good in the movie but the whole time he's like dead and speaks very clearly and deliberately and, duh, 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 duh. and and he just has sociopath written all over him uh so he take at this point barry is pretending 
to be part of this gang of sabotages, saboteurs. And of course, the monotone guy buys it and takes him to the leader, who's this rich lady that lives in a mansion. And they're throwing a party, and uh, Mr. Tobin is there, and uh, you know, also there because they get split up at Soda City. He meets up once again with Pat. And Pat finally finds out beyond because she actually, when she leaves Barry in Soda City, tries to turn him in. And she tells them all the story, not only about him, but about these saboteurs and everything else. Well, the cop she goes to works for the sabotage people, Sabotage Incorporated. And so they abduct her and they're all this party. And this at this point, they basically let her know that, yeah, your friend Barry is not a saboteur man. He's not. He's normal. And now she's all into him and everything. And they dance for a little bit. And then they get knocked out. Basically, they they get abducted some more. (laughs) A lot of abducting here. Uh, they have very different experiences, though. Uh, Pat is well taken care of. She has a, a suite up at the top of one of these big buildings in New York. And she's eating the finest food. There's even a scene where she orders a milkshake and it comes and she pays for it. And down in the basement is Barry eating out of cans. And it's about this point that the movie starts to really creep. And I, not creep again. That's not fair. But the pace changes and it also starts to be where the plot kind of breaks down a little bit so far. You know, I'm on board. Okay. He's, he's been framed for this, or he's at least taken the fall for the sabotage thing. And there's this group of sabotages and he's trying to infiltrate it. Okay. I'm on board so far, but then like, there's like gaps in logic. Like he's locked in the basement. Okay. He can't leave the room he's in. He's in a room by himself. And he sees at the top, uh, and you've seen people do this in movies. They have those sprinklers at the top for fire. So he goes up there and lights it and the fire alarm goes off. And the next thing you see, he's outside. That you don't see how he got out of the room that he was locked in. But apparently these fire alarms, I guess, unlock all the doors, even though this is 1940 and... I don't think even that happens today when the fire alarm goes off. All doors just unlock. Well, they keep talking about Brooklyn, okay? Brooklyn's the next job. Brooklyn is what they're doing. There's this Navy boat that's going to set off to sea. And, of course, they're going to try to bomb it. And the button has to be pressed at a very specific time. So Barry is still, like, being pursued by the cops or he's under arrest. I don't really know. Uh, But he's in town. And he sees Mr. Fry again for the first time since he killed Mr. Fry, essentially killed his best friend, uh, who is going to he's in charge of the button that blows up the ship. And so he jumps in the back of this truck where both the button and Mr. Fry are, uh, but he is not strong enough. Mr. Fry presses the button and the boat explodes. So, of course, the police now suspect um, Barry of not only the first sabotage and the murder of his friend, But now this blowing up of this boat. So he's on the run, but he tells the police, hey, chase the squirrely guy who looks like he's evil. And he sends Pat after him and they both go up to the Statue of Liberty to the very top 
in the crown or whatever that is that she wears. Now, this scene is the one that is in my brain the most. And the reason being, and you've heard me talk about it before, if you've listened to every episode, back in the day, back in the 90s and maybe early 2000s, there was a an, an attraction at Universal Studios in Florida uh, based around Alfred Hitchcock. And one of, there's a sequence where you watch essentially... Uh, the birds in 3d it's not really from the birds it's something else and then there's a sequence all about psycho and then after that you're kind of done with the attraction but it's almost like this gift shop area but it's not it's like other filmmaking techniques that hitchcock used that you can kind of look at and see how they're done and they actually have a spot here at the top of you know the torch that the statue lady the Statue of Lady, the Statue of Liberty holds. And that's where this finale, uh, finale goes, where Barry and evil, you know, weasel face go to the top while the cops are also up there. And evil face gets startled by Barry and slides down and he's hanging on to uh, the hand that's holding the torch by the tips of his fingers. And Barry goes down to save him and, and is only able to grab the wrist of his jacket. While the police are trying to get a rope, the jacket starts to rip and, uh, you know, weasel face falls to his death. Now, this shot, it doesn't look that great today, but I'm guessing maybe it was this technique that was mind blowing at the time. But I know how they did it, because at this amusement park in Florida, they let you play that role of the guy falling off. Like, so there's a chair that you'll sit in. And then they have the camera right close to you and you're on the ground and uh, it's on. It is also like the part of the prop for the Statue of Liberty and you hold on to it. And then when you let go, the camera flies up and that way it makes it look like you're falling and you scream and go, oh my gosh, I'm dying. And as a kid, I just thought this was the best because you could see it on the screen. They had the, the it wasn't rear projection there. Uh, I don't know. It would have been green screen, but, um, you know, it's just, it's one of those things that stuck with me. And that, and again, I can't say enough about how much that attraction, uh, played into why I have any, uh, affection for Hitchcock's movies in any way. So after our weasel face dies, that's basically it. They, they roll credits. They don't explain anything though. So while Weasel Face is dangling, he's like, I'll clear you if you save me. If you save me, I'll clear your name. But he dies. And there's not really that much evidence to support him, Barry, not being part of this group. And so it's just all left undone. And that whole last maybe 20 minutes of this movie is kind of dull. In parts. And there are a lot of things, and I can't think of all of them that seem to be where oh well, we can't figure out how to plot our way around that so we'll just ignore it and i noticed it this time as opposed to the first time i saw this movie which was way back in probably the early 2000s i thought and i had hoped that this was going to be the first like just first oh yeah this is a good movie not just good for hitchcock but this is a good movie and i know i said sabotage is good. Ah, 
And it is, but it's also good in the context of someone who's been sitting through all of these movies and slowly going insane. And so the, the, my opinion on what's good when it comes to Hitchcock movies right now is skewed. And the fact that I didn't feel like recording after watching it kind of just tells you, it's like, uh, really? Uh. So this was the only movie he released in 1942. So we spent two movies, two weeks in 1941. We're going to spend one week in 42. That's this week. And then one week in 1943, as we watch our next movie called Shadow of a Doubt. Now, I recently just kind of saw a list of best Hitchcock movies, and there are a lot of things I questioned on this list. And there are a lot of times, like I was having that conversation with Mark, where I'm like, I think sometimes people just ignore the bad stuff he makes because it's Hitchcock, right? And you just, maybe you don't want to be the one to say, hey, this isn't good. Uh, and he's supposed to be this great master of cinema. And I'm not saying he's not. But boy, he hasn't hit that stride yet. Uh, and the, the the repetition in some of the storytelling from movie to movie, like I've seen, like Shadow of a Doubt, I'm going to predict it right now. I haven't watched this movie, okay? And so you come back next week and you see if I'm right. But my prediction for Shadow of a Doubt, there's going to be a guy who's falsely accused of something who goes on the run and with the assistance of a reluctant woman has to prove his innocence. That's the plot of next week's movie. I am not joking when I say I have not seen it. I'm just that confident that that's what next week's movie is going to be. And I think there's going to be a lot more of them that just fit that plot. It's like back when I was watching the silent movies and I said, guess what? I think the next one's going to be, I don't know, a love triangle. And that's where we are now. And it's not at least, I mean, this is at least exciting, but it's a story that you can be told only so many times. And there's only so many circumstances that a person can get in where you have to be like, okay, Hitch, do something else, you know? And I haven't seen all of his movies yet, but I can tell you that maybe the reason Psycho is his standout film is because it actually stands out from a crowd of his movies that feel all the same. I haven't seen anything in the first half of this podcast that resembles anything like Psycho. Maybe one scene, you know, the hand on a knife or whatever, but that's tenuous at best. So join me next week as I review Saboteur by any other name still smells the sweet as I watch Shadow of a Doubt. Uh, this is Hitchcock Chronologically. Uh, of course, you can email me, but no one does. It's HitchcockChronologically at gmail.com. Check out the Discord link in the description uh, to chat with me in Discord. Also, look out for my new movie podcast I do with Mark. Uh, it is out now, and it is called DOS Movie Draft House, and that link should be in the description as well. Thanks for listening.